0: This is Wade's World, where we talk to the most interesting people in the world. On KABF
1: 88.3, the voice of the people. You want to see how the other half lives? We'll see how we get around. Why don't you come visit me? Today, we're talking to Paul Ford, who's the co-founder and president of DS9 Capital, and we're going to be talking about health equity. Welcome to Ways World, Paul.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, and you've got us in a in a soft spot. We like to talk about health equity and health issues. So first, tell us what is DS9 Capital, and then we'll jump into it.
0: Sure. Uh, DS9 Capital is an advisory firm. Uh, we also invest from the firm as well. Um, our mission is to help um diverse entrepreneurs, um launching scale businesses um that are closely aligned uh, in the health technology space, insurance or uh fintech, financial services space.
1: Well, that's a busy area right now, isn't it? It really is, absolutely. So health equity uh, for people of color, um, that's kind of the audience we have and something that we care a lot about. But uh, part of the point I read that you're making is that things like uh, vaccine trials and other trials just aren't diverse enough for us to get the kind of outcomes on drugs and medical care we need. Is that what you're finding?
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things that we stay really focused on Uh, is the the concept of doing good, but then also being able to run profitable businesses at the same time. And so one of the things we found was in the the exercise of a business that wants to expand its market to attract more revenue, um, you would think that a lot of companies were going after very ripe demographics like the um, uh, Latino uh, community, the African-American community, uh, people that have migrated from other countries into the United States. Uh, but especially when it comes to health care and health technology, these are just missed demographics and there's not a lot of robust enterprise-grade solutions available to cater to their needs.
1: I read a piece uh, just recently in the uh, uh, Scientific American where uh, people were making that case in terms of doing – uh gene studies that most of the uh geo geo uh, the studies have pulled out people from either europe or north america and global south countries and many others that have uh, different potentially uh, health characteristics are not uh, part of the pool uh, in as diverse a, a level as we need and i think that's kind of what you're talking about too on a global scale huh
0: yeah absolutely I mean, I think we all saw one of the derivative effects of this uh, with the vaccines for uh, COVID over the last year or two where there were, I'm not going to name names, but there was one uh, vaccine, a uh, manufacturer in particular released a vaccine and it had, you know, a statistically significant amount of adverse outcomes, right? And I believe it was um, uh, black women over a certain age, uh, I forget the exact kind of you know, demographic range, uh, but they had blood clots and other issues. and then same with African American males, those created elevated heart risk, et cetera. And we know there were speedy trials and trying to rush to get something to market, um, but that's not an exception to the rule. That's actually the norm. So when you look at clinical trial data specifically, um, there's always a underrepresentation of people of color um, and there's always a, a underrepresentation of just minor, minority groups in, in general so you know whether you want to call that um, you know uh, ethnic, you know relative to ethnicity or other minority groupings the underrepresentation means there's there's a missed opportunity to catch adverse reactions or um, opportunities to catch uh, where a drug may outperform right for a certain demographic. Uh, class.
1: Well, and we, we see this at different age groups. I mean, you know, all of us have become many experts around the vaccines, uh, Paul. And, you know, when you read about the problems they're having for young children, that uh, you know, at a certain age, it helps, but at a certain other age, they're not sure. And four shots and three. I mean, it's just uh, these are complex things. Now, as an investor and in the fintech space, um are you finding a lot of uh, startups or other companies that are interested in fixing this problem?
0: Yeah, they are. Um, and you'll see them all kind of couched as um, AI, right artificial intelligence you know type of companies. Um, and you know AI doesn't mean it's you know from the movie and there's robots walking around and looking to take over mankind. Uh, when you really truly understand the, the promise of AI, It means, you know, if you take the U.S. population, uh, you can always find a minority group, right? So it can, and that's just by virtue of classification. So you can go into ethnicity, you can go into ethnicity and gender, ethnicity, gender, and age, ethnicity, gender, age, and like geographic uh, area where they live. You can layer in education. You can layer in interests. You can layer in diet, you can layer in, you know, health conditions. You can make as small of a minority group as you want by labeling, you know, an individual or creating personas. AI allows you to do that at scale in very complex patterns and analyze those patterns to see if, you know, a drug that was released by Acme Corporation for clinical trials, maybe maybe there's a a 40% efficacy rate for the general population. Maybe there's a 70% uh, percent efficacy rate if you look at a specific minority group, ethnicity, age demographic, education level, right? You kind of keep drilling, drilling, drilling. Maybe there's, there's a needle in the haystack there. If it, if it appears here, similar demographics can you know, shortcut the ability to find those in the UK or uh, whatever, Eastern Europe, Africa, uh, Indonesia. Uh, but that, that's the promise, and that's where we find super interesting companies that have the ability to, to use AI in those very practical
1: ways. The, uh, You know, it seems like this would be a no-brainer, uh, but why is the FDA not requiring more diversity on these trials? Because they must understand this. Their scientists are up to snuff, I would think, but uh, are they not uh, – pushing for the same thing you're pushing for on the other side?
0: Yeah, we, we see efforts in a variety of ways on the FDA and the CDC. Um, so, uh, for example, um, you know one of the things that, that we've helped create is a uh, patient registry for people of color. Uh, it's, it's, it's been in beta testing for a while. Uh, it gets released uh, this spring, uh, but it's a website called patientsofcolor.org because there there really is no patient registry for people of color where you can sign up and engage and share your health information for the purposes of research, new drug development, introducing certain individuals to clinical trial opportunities. Uh, there's not one design for that very ripe demographic, but the NIH, the CDC, FDA, they do encourage and promote and they allocate it Dollars towards um, standing up and supporting registries of different types. Uh, there are a few that do cater to African Americans with uh, breast cancer, like a registry specifically for that, and you know, promoting more inclusion and in clinical trials around that very specific thing. The problem is, no one knows about that unless you are me or someone like me looking specifically for that right. and knew that there were, were layers of. You know government bureaucracy, where you could find opportunity, uh, and or grant, and or you know other resources available.
1: We're talking to Paul Ford, who's the co-founder and president of DS Nine Capital, uh, who's uh, part of their investment strategy is trying to achieve more health equity. I'll, I'll tell you, in the real world, uh, part of our family of organizations, we represent a number of nursing homes, and the uh, staff that we represent uh, is largely African American women who are middle-aged. Um, and this period of the pandemic, it was a struggle in many, in some of the the nursing homes, getting people to be willing to be vaccinated, even though uh, patients were, I mean, this was, I mean, you know, the nursing home deaths in the pandemic have been the leading, you know, the leading uh, on the downside of, of our numbers. Um, and obviously their families, one of the The workers uh, to be vaccinated the staff i mean the management wanted them to be vaccinated and the union wanted to be vaccinated but they were skeptical for exactly the reason you're talking about there have been too much history in the african-american community of being uh, used for you know sort of tests that were unethical Um, and we've talked to some people about that uh, on this show before so that's part of the mountain you're climbing how do you get there You've got to convince some people to be willing to sign it's, it's, up, huh?
0: Yeah, it's it's honestly transparency. So, you know, there, of course, the history is there behind unethical uh, tr- you know trials and experiments done on the African American community. Uh, however, you now have African Americans in prominent positions uh, in different biosciences and pharma companies, right? So, it really comes down to, if you will, marketing and inclusion. Right. I think one of the, the, the virtues of modern marketing and uh, digital media is the fact that if if you wanted to go back in time and redo the whole vaccine introduction to the U.S. population uh, and you want to specifically target the African-American population or other vulnerable populations, if you have the facts behind you to say we performed one of the largest clinical trials for, you know, on African-Americans for these vaccines, and it yielded X result. Uh, you know, and this is why we think it's safe to move forward. Now you can make a decision based on that. Gotcha. Right to, to say uh, what was done, you know, over the last two years. Hey, these things are uh, passing certain phases of clinical trial. Uh, we're all an experiment, and we just need to do it. You know, it, it lends itself to too much. We'll, we'll call it. Um, Negative thinking, whether it was you know, you know, uh, speed was created by economic, you know, interest of you know the companies or et cetera. Uh, just the transparency and understanding what's behind it. I, I had to go there and look at the research and get comfortable with decisions I made, sure. uh, as did most people. Uh, but when that's front and center and, and not an afterthought, that's super helpful. But just transparency, uh, resources, communication. And what, what is known more globally as health literacy, you know, it, you know, introduce these concepts early and often, not when there's a crisis, exactly. right? And there's other things on your mind. So uh, but these are ways to stay out, stay on top of it and get ahead of it.
1: I was interested uh, in one of the uh, bullet points that uh... – that was shared with me before I, I talked to you, that some 50% of FDA trials are in fact conducted within one to 2% of all US zip codes. Uh, it had a footnote, but I didn't see where, how'd you, where'd you find that out? Because you know, that's right to what you're talking about. There was a big front page story as we're talking uh, in the recent papers about how we're still finding the impact in asthma and a number of other things in communities particularly of color uh, uh, from sure. redlining in the 1930s. Um, I wonder if those zip codes are in this uh, these kind of trials. It's hard for me to believe they would be one of the part of the one to 2%, but where'd you find that? That's an important statistics, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll promote education and literacy here. So, um, you know, to, to bring awareness to your audience, there's associations, there are trade publications and journals, There are uh, conventions, there are uh, private organizations, public organizations, and nonprofit organizations, all of whom are doing research all the time, right? And a lot of them work together, um, and some create kind of alliances to to, to focus on certain issues, Uh, but the information's there. And depending, you know, which which one you're looking at, you'll find uh, different information around, you know, what zip codes are used, et cetera. Some are more transparent than others, uh, uh, and I believe the, the 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 reference you're making we footnoted at the bottom where, where that where that's from. Uh, but but here's something to educate your audience as well, uh, uh, you know, in the same vein. Um, and I'm going to use an analogy that we that might be more appropriate for the audience. Um, I live right outside of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Louisville, Kentucky is the headquarters for. Uh, Yum Brands, which includes, you know, the KFCs and some other, you know, oh, yeah. popular restaurants and, uh, and and such. When they want to go test a new concept kitchen or a new product, they may do it here. Uh, they also have, you know, probably a handful, meaning three to five locations around the U.S. that you would never think of uh, where they go test the new concepts because the demographic Uh, from a population distribution curve point of view, looks the same in that one city or town as it does across the entire United States. So that's why they keep going to the same places to say, will this be popular, will it be well-received? And if so, then they release it and open it up to the U.S. market. Now, the problem with doing that in that instance or with clinical trials to say, we're going to go to a certain zip code, focus on that zip code, because that population distribution curve looks the same as the U.S., you know, uh, on a normative basis, um, is that the drug you're targeting might actually uh, be catering to one end of the spectrum of that curve. So yes, you know the overall sample size might be normal, but who you're focusing on is disproportionately found in other communities. So you get these really you know, weird-looking statistics that come out of these studies. Um, the, the the cure to that is just finding ways to get to more zip codes and include more people in trials. So it looks like decentralized trials where you don't have to be in one zip code in one building administering it. You can do it virtually on a computer. The same way we do Zoom calls and interviews and uh, other types of work meetings and studies.
1: The uh, We're talking to Paul Ford. who's a co-founder and president of DS9 Capital about health equity. Um It's an interesting problem that uh, we just um, it seems like we have so many of these situations where people are underrepresented, underinsured. And some people and as you say, young young brands, I mean, because there's money, they have money in the game. They really go out of their way to make sure people everywhere are going to buy it. But in drug testing, you'd think uh, it would be the same kind of thing. Paul, a lot of people in these tests get paid sometimes, don't they? Is that an issue, good or bad, or what do you think?
0: Um, I think it shows the word some, so that's correct. Some people get paid in the test, right, in, in these clinical trials. Some don't. There is no standard. Uh, there, there's been a increased effort to make sure there are standards for clinical trials. Alluding to your question earlier, shouldn't there be a minimal standard uh, uh, a representation standard in the demographic population you're testing on? Should there be a quote-unquote minimum requirement for uh, monetization or or compensation for people that participate and data transparency, right? So even with some of the clinical trials that are run, um, not all clinical trials share the data with uh, the people participating in it and the outcomes. Some clinical trials don't even... Uh, share with you what treatments they're giving you right so and and uh, a good example would be there could be a treatment a versus treatment b that they're wanting to test and see how it works they'll just tell you the treatment a and treatment b and kind of generally what what the treatment involves but but treatment b might be a placebo right it's a it's a uh, vitamin capsule with sugar water in it Right to see if there's that placebo effect that takes place. Sure, but but right to not have full transparency, that also scares some people off from participating because they don't know what they're getting themselves into. Um, so yeah, the standards should be, definitely be there. Compensation should probably be there as well, especially depending on the, the type of risk involved, or if it's a, I don't know we we'll just say a treatment that could help. You know a lot of people across the globe let's get as many people in there as possible but sometimes you need to motivate people and uh, there's there's no probably better motivator than
1: cash well i know you know i know there was controversy in some of the trials for the vaccines here in dealing with COVID 19 where some people who had volunteered to be part of the trials thank goodness um and were the placebo group weren't necessarily early in line to then get the real vaccine. And then on the other hand, I have a, a buddy in Atlanta who just trying to do the right thing, signed up to help be part of the Moderna trials and he got paid and he got vaccinated. I mean, you know, you're just like, he just got lucky, I guess. I mean, he was trying to do his civic duty here in a health crisis, but um, other people just, I mean, I remember reading the articles and some people complaining they couldn't, couldn't qualify. That's right. crazy. Right. But is there an effort, from what you can tell, to create some standards?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to the NIH, uh, National Institute of Health, if you go to FDA, or just do a simple Google search where you're looking for you know NIH or FDA or CDC and uh, clinical trials, there's a there's a dearth of information available. There's uh, several articles or white papers. Where they're, you know, promoting standards and pushing for them, the efforts created around that, and different bills that are introduced in various states, or, uh, you know, relative to passing legislation that would encourage that, it's definitely there. Um, and we could say that there's probably some some level of comfort in the fact that uh, if you want, if you've ever donated blood, same rules apply, kind of. Right, so if you want to draw your blood, you need to be somewhat healthy. Um, and we hope although so. they're drawing blood out of you, and not putting necessarily anything in you, other than maybe a needle, um, there's there's little risk, right? Unless you didn't know that you're going to faint from seeing the blood and you pass out and slay your head open or something. But no, don't you know, go Elizabeth not, not, Holmes on us now.
1: Time. Be careful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's all
0: relatively manageable. But there's a, there's a standard there that says. Yeah, you have to pass some criteria to, to, to donate blood and even participate. And there's, you know, either compensation or you can decline compensation Those instances to scale that out and start to look at different ways to apply standards uh, using that as a basis and proxy is basically what people have done. And the more complicated research is, and uh, the more complicated uh, and sophisticated, uh, you know, bioscience related products or pharma related products are created uh, it's going to require more. They're heavily regulated, so why wouldn't the clinical trials be as well? So there's, there's some kind of parity and uh, you know standard of excellence for getting the most you know effective outcomes from whatever they're creating.
1: Well, the blood uh, the blood industry was forced uh, to have to up their game because of the terrible HIV problem um, when. Yeah. Before there there were standards there, people were getting sick and dying uh, who relied on transfusions either because they were, uh, you know, had, uh, uh, you know, blood diseases like hemophilia or, you know, were regular donors. So uh, we we have to hope that that doesn't require a huge crisis in the testing industry to force standards. But let me ask you this, Paul. I mean, you mentioned you're in Louisville now, but uh, you're... Uh, cell phones in Sacramento. How did you, that's more, uh, you, you think uh, FinTech, it's Silicon Valley. How did you get from one to the other?
0: Yeah. So I'm a Northern California native born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area and been in Louisville for five years. Uh, Prior to that was, you know, in Sacramento uh, for the, for the 10 years prior. So um, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I made my mark in uh, the insurance and healthcare related fields uh, in Northern California did a lot of consulting. When I started my own firm uh, to a lot of, you know, i now high flying companies uh, out of Silicon Valley that were venture backed. Uh, so that was super exciting. Uh, but you know, there there's, you know, I try to be fairly forward thinking in my, in my thoughts. Uh, and I'd always been looking for, you know, what, what destination do you want? I want to settle into we'll call it quote unquote, mid career, uh, looking ahead of the market. So Northern California, you know, you have several issues of housing problems and cost of living issues. And, uh, you know, and there's other, there's other concerns too, uh, especially when wanting to run and start businesses and launch portfolios, your dollar doesn't get you as far there. Uh, so that was one impetus for the move. Well, of course, Louisville Louis and
1: Kentucky in general, you've got, you know, Hospital Corporation of America. You have a lot of health-related national companies that are based in Kentucky, which is always a surprise, but that's true, isn't it?
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, It's actually been coined as the epicenter for aging care economy in the U.S. So aging care, I think senior care, um, you know, Kindred Health Care, there's a few others, and Humana is big in the Medicare space. Uh, but, but you know, Louisville is probably, I guess, two, two and a half hours away from Nashville, which is another huge healthcare care uh, hub. Uh, they have HCA and a few other outfits there. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of a lot of good things happening in this part of the world. And, uh, you know, it's no secret that Nashville has been blossoming uh, just as fast or faster than areas of Texas over the last decade. Uh, so exciting to see the growth there. But, uh, yeah, your dollar goes a little bit further here. Uh, less so during the pandemic where people start to sprawl out and kind of bring their cost of living standards and expectations with them. Uh, But still, nonetheless, a wonderful part of the country, a lot of opportunity. Uh, um, Yeah. And there's there's other places like this uh, sprinkled around uh, the U.S. as well.
1: Gotcha. We we were just in another part. One of our organizations is uh, getting ready to put out, A study on uh, hospital and healthcare pricing. You know, there's a new rule by CMS that uh, they had to be more transparent on their pricing. What a mess! I know that's not exactly what we're talking about, but it's um, it's calling out for something in fintech. I mean, they had to post all the prices, and in some cases, if you went to it's supposed to be machine readable, if you went to look and see what it would cost to get your knee operated on, some would just tell you, some would have fifty different. Cost ranges based on what the charge master said, based on what their highs and low. I mean, it was just like you know Jane, Joe, you know healthcare consumer who wanted to use those kind of things to look. And I, I worry about. I mean, to the degree you've argued, I think correctly that transparency around this healthcare issues is so important. We saw that in this pro and anti vaccine thing. Transparency and the facts matter. Um, but right. you, we need some real leadership in healthcare. And uh, looking in through that window, it looks like they're dedicated to obfuscation, not transparency. I mean, I don't know what to do about that. But boy, that some of your startups, ought to look at some of those issues.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I think you said you're, you're out of uh, Arkansas. Arkansas was one of the states that passed uh, a piece of legislation over the last few years around PBMs. PBNs are pharmacy benefit managers. Uh, These are companies that manage the pharmacy benefit to your corporate benefit. So if you're employed and your employer gives you medical benefits and a pharmacy benefit and get your ID card, you you take it to the pharmacy to pick up your drugs and they run it. Okay. Your co-pays $30 $30. behind the scenes are these fairly large organizations managing, you know, networks of 60,000 pharmacies and, you know, drug lists that can vary and all the pricing and all the ways you can make money from it. Uh, And Arkansas said there has to be a transparency because one of the little known secrets of the, uh, you know, the PBM world to most of the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the typical, you know, American consumer uh, or healthcare plan participant uh, is the fact that you can go to name your pharmacy, name your pharmacy chain, um, and just pick whatever one you like the best for, for a drug, drug X, um, and pay a certain amount. Okay. Yeah. You can end up going to the same chain three blocks away. Cause they have another, uh, chain on the opposite side of the street, three blocks away. And it's different there. You can go to another of the same chain in the opposite direction, another mile away. And it's, it's the same drug, different price. Now this happens across virtually all drugs and all pharmacies.
1: So it's crazy. To, to try I just to manage got, that. I, I recently has been, a,
0: has been a, a brutal battle as getting better. And there's, there's outfits out there creating more transparency. So you know what drugs cost and where you can get it cheaper, et cetera. That's phenomenal. Um, but you can only do that really right now. And, and uh, with prescription drugs, because they're commoditized, they have a, we have a price tag on it that you can actually share. Gotcha. Uh, But more more of that kind of transparency around that and therapeutic options and treatment alternatives.
1: Paul, we're coming to the end here. I I need uh, to, I just read a book, Empire of Pain about the whole opioid thing. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Paul, uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation?
0: Yeah, I'm a LinkedIn fan. So you can find me on LinkedIn and just look up Paul Ford. Uh, or you can reach me uh, via our website, uh, which is www.ds9capital.com. That is D as in David, S as in Sam, the number nine, capital.com. Uh, that, that's a DS9 is a Star Trek reference.
1: Thanks for, for being with us. This, this has been Wage World for another week, the world where the other half lives, where we talk about things you've never heard. And as Lucinda Williams sings, things you've never seen and will never forget. Wage World is underwritten by the Darrell Foundation, a progressive force enabling change based in Little Rock, Arkansas. As the song goes, we say it loud, we say it on the air, we say it on the radio until next week, and we'll have another guest. This is Wade Rathke from Wage World.